What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. Look, Living Corporate is a digital media network, right? Not just a single podcast. Okay, hear me again. I said a digital media network, not just a single podcast. So when I say digital media network, what does that mean? Digital media network means that we're creating all sorts of different types of media. All sorts of different types of media. Podcasts, vodcasts, blogs, right? Uh, Talk chat spaces, you know what I mean? Uh, Social media content. Right. Threads, things of that nature, all types of content. And what is that network? What is this content all meant to do? It's meant to center and amplify black and brown people at work, center and amplify black and brown people at work. So often in this whole DEI space or whatever you want to call it, DEI, IED, JEI, you know what I'm saying? The RZA, Wu-Tang, whatever you calling it. Right. Shout out to Wu-Tang forever. Uh, But whatever you calling it. There's this common thread of centering of the most overrepresented, right? So what am I really trying to say? A lot of this DEI work centers white people and white feelings. That's what, that's really what this space has devolved into, or maybe it already, it always was. I mean, honestly, we've talked about that ad nauseum um, for the past several years. But the point is, is that living corporate exists to center and amplify the marginalized voices, black and brown queer, black and brown disabled, black and brown women, black and brown trans, black and brown non-binary, black and brown first gen, black and brown people at work. That's what we do. And we interview executives, elected officials, activists, artists, influencers, the list goes on and on and on. And we're always, always, always bringing it back to the experiences of the most marginalized and We're speaking truth to power by challenging the very systems that exist and continue to persist to benefit everybody but black and brown people at work. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we do. We're not really here to like coddle or pat uh, big corporations on the back that make billions of dollars every year. Um, We're here to really have authentic, real conversations in a corporate world. Okay, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we're not trying to do. That's what we're doing. Shout out to the living corporate team. I'm so excited about this conversation you're about to hear. We'll be back. See you soon. Celinda Farias. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you're on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a huge fan of your work and following you for years. Um, mm. So it's such a pleasure and such an honor that that you have me on your your podcast today. You know, here's the thing. Um, I, I, I'm gonna get right to it because I, when I think about like the the present and the future, um, like your role is so critical, um, and I want to talk about all of it. I want to talk about. I want to talk about all of it, okay. uh, but let's start with your journey right now, right? You're the head of talent attraction at, I'm going to say, this is not an ad, <laughs> yeah, wink, uh, is one of the biggest, if not the most recognized, one of the financial institutions, brands in the world, Visa. Let's talk, like, we're going to talk about your role right now, sure. but let's talk about how you got there. Sure. So I started my career as a recruiter. Uh, this was pre-2008, and I hate to say it, but back then we were called headhunters, so the staffing industry, um, recruiting uh, accountants, 
in the finance world. And I loved it. I was really good at it. Of course, in 2008, we had our first little economic market crash. It was also timed with the year that I had my twin boys. Um, and I decided in my, I'm a big planner and I like to write things out. You know, I, I used to say it was manifesting. Now it's a combination of spirituality and just being logical. Um, yes. But I, I really wanted to break into corporate America. Uh, a little a, a little background history on me is I'm first generation in everything. There aren't many people in my family today that are in corporate America. My parents are immigrants. So it's really like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, corporate America, what a big dream. But it was a big goal. Um, lucky for me, I leveraged my network. And one of my former colleagues introduced me to her brother at HP, who was building uh, the very first sourcing team. And I didn't know what sourcing was. We're talking, this is 2010, maybe. Um, I was sourcer number six at HP. Big company, you know, printer yeah. conglomerate. Uh, at the time, they were doing a lot of other things. Um, yeah. And I joined, and I really, I was a six-month contract. I nailed that role. Um, and I got promoted very quickly and, and obviously converted into full-time. The beautiful thing yeah. I'll tell you about HP that I wish more companies did is that they sort of source from within to, to offer opportunities for people. And so obviously as being a recruiter new to corporate America, I didn't know what employer brand was, digital media sourcing, social sourcing. Keep in mind, this was when everybody had a Facebook page back in the day, right? And so I raised my hand and HP really took me under their wing. So, the, so about for five years of my tenure there, I learned everything and everything about employer branding. Um, then I jumped from there to Oracle and then Nike and currently at HP, oh, sorry, I'm currently at Visa. Um, and I will say the jumps, as I look back, were purely for, for st uh, salary, right? Being first gen, um, I didn't really negotiate my salary well at HP when I got started. I was just so excited about the opportunity that I was so yeah. far delayed with my peers. So every jump allowed me to really level up to where I should have been. You know, it's so interesting. Um, so I'm not a first gen uh, American, but I'm a first I'm a first gen in other ways, right? So like, I tell a lot of folks like, I'm the first man to start and graduate from a four university on my mom's side of the family. Um, I'm, you know, my, I'm a second generation reader. Like my dad taught my grandfather yeah. how to read. See, that's big. Um, and right. And like, and so it's, it's interesting, right? Like when you, it's, it's easy, I think to, I know rather to really dismiss some of these things if you didn't come from that. Mm -hmm. And I also certainly, uh, it certainly resonates with me, the idea of, Hey, look! I just got to get this bread because, and not and not knowing how to and not necessarily even not even knowing negotiation was is even a thing yeah. to do, right? Like, I remember when um, I got into consulting. Like, I started my career at Target as an HR manager. Got into consulting cylinder and um, found out about sign-on bonuses. Yeah, and I was like, a sign-on bonus, yeah. like like a, like an athlete, yeah. like. But it's very common, so right? So common, but nobody was telling us this stuff. I'm telling you, no. when I look back, I never negotiated. I was just felt so lucky and humbled to be there. And it didn't come until my tenure at Visa that I actually hired someone to help me negotiate salary. Um, yeah. And I learned in that moment 
that it, the gentleman was like, no, you're going to say this. And he would write my emails. And I'm like, I can't say that. And it was purely saying like, listen, I'm not leaving RSUs on the table. Like you're going to have to give me, you know, you're pulling me, you recruited me. You know, things that were logical, but seemed right. so self-serving in the moment. But right. I will say with the right um, ammunition of what you're going to bring to the table. They selected you for a reason, you know, knowing your value. And I, and I do believe there was a time that, that I didn't negotiate because I didn't know my value. I didn't understand what I brought to the table. Um, but that all comes with growth. And I think um, also having this board of advisors in your career where you, you can yeah. call on different people that bring strengths and remind you who you are and help you navigate big moves like that. And so, you know, so to that end, right, like, I think part of part of like this corporate experience is like, <clears throat> yes, people want you to feel good enough to do your job. But like nowhere in my corporate experience that were people like pulling me aside and telling me how great and powerful and valuable I am, because if <laughs> like not to be pes- overly pessimistic, if you do that all the time with everybody, then everybody is going to be asking yeah. for all this kind of stuff. Right. And so. From a sustainability perspective, like like in terms of like from a corporate perspective, you know, no, no, people aren't going to say, hey, we're going to give you a signing bonus. No, they'll be willing to acquiesce if you negotiate. Right. But it's not necessarily something they're going to just kind of hand you out the gate. Now, I will say to you, I agree with everything you said based on my lived experience. No one's ever been like, Slenda, you're so good. These are all the things we're going to give you. Your salary should be this. In fact, all of the people that have hired me have asked me to take less, um, do more. However, I don't know if, if when I joined Visa, I decided to, to really become a different leader. And you know, I've been here five years now. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to speak for the people I've hired, but I've always said to them, like, hey, this is what's on the table. You know, you're going to yeah. reload. Let's get you that. And so my goal in life has been to, maybe I can't impact the, the masses, but every person that works for me, I will say, wait a minute, you're asking for too low. Here's the range. This is what I think oh, you should awesome. do. And I, and I do that because if I can do that for one person and they can do that yeah. for another, then we can change. Yeah. And I do really strive to only hire I know it sounds terrible, but women or underrepresented categories. And I, and that would be rude to say that I haven't hired well-represented categories before, but I always want to be that person that tries to give someone their, their entry point, their access in. Uh, Cause I think it's important. I think once you're in, you shine. It's the entering point. That's really difficult. And so like, and, and so first of all, that's so beautiful, right? Because, and I've seen this, I've seen this on socials, right? Where like, you're part of a select group of talent attraction specialists and leaders who do that because there's another group of people who are like, well, no, I'm going to protect home base. Mm-hmm. I'm going to protect the house and I'm going to give them as little as possible. They got, if you know, I'm not, I'm not going to cede anything. I think you're absolutely right though. Cause it's like, at what point, like how does someone learn? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be, you're that person. Yeah. Like that's so beautiful. You're that person for that other first gen. Yeah. Per, professional or that young professional yes. or that just or that inexperienced. someone that like just hasn't had the the opportunity to hasn't. negotiate right has been raised in an environment where you accept what you get um right i also think uh 
I hate to call it like a secrecy, right? But sign-on bonus, RSUs, employee stock purchases, those aren't common table languages or words we use. I know my family and I aren't talking about that when we, you know, link up. And so right. if we can demystify what those things are, right, um, yeah. it helps someone else, you know, really do better. And I think, so it's interesting, right? Because like you're, you're that person for them and then they're going to be able yeah. to then light someone else's candle. So that's really cool. So let, let's talk a little bit about like, you know, this idea of talent attraction, like, and in this, first of all, like I'm, you know, as we're looking across just tech, but the broader economic landscape, folks in your space are getting cut <laughs> left and right. Like Hit me it hard. Is, in it's the chest, true. like it's true. You're not so lying. like so, so like what? So how does that? First of all, like you're you're an you're an executive leader, like you manage teams. I'm I'm confident people also like just your colleagues in the space are also looking at you. Like how do you feel in this moment? So I always so this space, what I do, right? Talent attraction, and I'll I'll define what it means at Visa because it's a little different than any other organization uh, that I've worked at. I'm basically mm-hmm. responsible for all the tools and tactics and strategy that drives the candidate journey pre-apply. And so that could mean a plethora okay. of things, right? That's a lot. Okay. Pre-apply is a lot, right? In former lives, yeah. it only meant social media and content. Here, that's a sliver of the work we do. We do drive larger strategic initiatives, lots of tools. We just launched a CRM. I was in part of the implementation team. So it's a little bit deeper. Now, to answer your question, it is a tough time for recruiters in general, for the, our industry, for for uh, people that aren't bringing revenue to the table, right? Any any uh, non-revenue generating roles, period. Yeah. Um, I do think sometimes, wow, I got so specialized, right? Because when you're a recruiter, you can recruit for anyone. As long as you have the network, the know-how. Did I become too specialized that I can't branch out? However, what I love about my tenure at Visa is that, yes, I am in the super niche marketing space. I say marketing in air quotes. Um, I raise my hand for projects. You know, if we're doing a tool implementation, I've gotten really great at program management and working with the legal and the, the sourcing and the RFPs. So I'm able to take on work that wouldn't my traditional, the people that I that I would see my peers in my space aren't doing, whether they have a team member or they just have teams that are larger that own that work. So yeah. if I ever look to leave, I have so many skills that I've picked up here that aren't just in your traditional employer brand or talent attraction and I think that makes me slightly a little bit more dangerous than others um, because I still love and am passionate about the marketing space but I know that we need to be a lot more thoughtful with how we spend our money in this time you know so you're so that's you're right so first of all that's that's very broad like the scope of that pre-apply right so literally it's like top of top of top top of top it's like, I mean, so that's really cool. To that end, I would imagine Visa, like most other competitive brands, are really trying to f- attract and retain Gen Z talent. Yes, we talk about that all the time. Um, in fact, I was just, we do a economic forecast for the world. And I think it's actually, I can send you a link after because they do a recap for the external market. And and yeah. one of, and this is coming from our chief 
economist, economist. Oh my, I can't say that word right now. But anyways, um, he basically spent four or five slides talking about how Gen Z spends money. They are the largest um, pool right now that you can influence. And I, having two Gen Zs myself, um, I know that we're in for a treat now. I mean, my kids don't don't leave the house with a credit card. They use Apple Pay. You know, if the store doesn't take Apple Pay, it's we're, we're in trouble. Uh, no cash. Absolutely, do not even embarrass them by giving them cash. So, so you have to think about the spend, right? Whereas I'm leaving a house full of with my wallet, with cash, with credit cards. You right. know, I'm I'm open minded. Yeah. You know, I can't remember the right. last time I used <laughs> Apple Pay. To be fair with you, you know, uh, it's probably the last thing I want to do is pull my phone out to pay. So we do think about that a lot. In addition, if we think about it from a recruiting perspective, we have a phenomenal early careers team uh, that's led by Bridget Jensen here, and she's really flipping the funnel, in my opinion, based on how I've seen uh, early career programs ran. Uh, in my prior employers, where she's not just focused on the internship program. That used to be the the pivotal thing that you would sell. And don't get me wrong, they do a phenomenal program. In fact, yesterday they said they had like 92 activations during their internship program, which I was blown away. Um, but they're also bringing in new pathways. We can't just focus on everyone having a degree. It's not realistic. I think I read a stat yesterday yeah. that 60% of Americans don't have a four-year degree, right? And so if we're going to be attracting talent for, you know, we want to say we're diverse, right? We're diverse and inclusion is in our blood. We have to look at an alternative pathway. So Visa's actually uh, built a program for apprenticeship. Uh, it's part of the DOJ for cybersecurity talent. Uh, we just launched that program recently. We, we have programs with the NFL to bring former NFL players. They have programs with the Olympians, the Paralympians. So they're bringing people in and that sort of like you have all these great skills and, you know, you may be missing this one thing, but we want to help you rotate around the company, find your home here, which I've never seen done anywhere else. No, that's incredible. Uh, you know, I I think about, I, I'm just so, so I have two uh and I have four Gen Z siblings. They're all Gen Z. Uh, the oldest is 23 and the youngest is 19. And How so, many siblings? Um, you sound like my family. Four. Yeah, that's big. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent little number and they're all in the band. But anyway, they're very, all of them are very interesting. And like, we talk, I talk to them all the time about like, you know, that each of them, they have their own perspective on education in school. It's like, hey, I want to get these experiences. I don't know if I necessarily need to go to a full university for that. Right, right. Now, a couple of them are in school. Like, they're they're all in different types of school. Yeah. But, like, it wasn't a given. Like, we all, like, I remember talking to them, each of them, when they were in high school. And there were points where they were like, uh, do I need to go to college? Because I have the skill set that I really just want to, like, nurture. Yeah. And I might want to, like, do, like, an apprenticeship somewhere. I might want to do, like, a, maybe I do, like, a two-year thing. But I'm not really trying to necessarily, like, pay or take out huge student loans. They are so humble when it comes to things like that. I mean, and to be fair, I don't think I ever concerned myself with the money. I was just like, got to get that degree. You know, I think it was ingrained in us that we wouldn't have a job if we didn't have a degree right. or the job that, you know, that comfortable life you wanted to lead. Right. But I agree right. with you. We, I started this, uh, this summer going to college tours with my 10th graders just to get them in that mindset, because I don't think they really understood what college was. We don't have many, um, younger uh, siblings or cousins their age that have gone through it, you know, where they would see the life uh, path. 
Um, and both of them have said, well, I don't know if I want to do this. All they, they both play baseball, so they know they want to play baseball. Um, and so I started telling them, I'm like, listen, if you want to go to the community college, you want to get an apprenticeship, you want to become a plumber, you want to be an electrician, you want to trade, right? There, there's a deficit of trade workers in, in, in America. Huge deficit. Right? Um, and they're making so much money because of it, right? So I I'm, don't want to be like my parents where they were like, you have to, this is the life you have to do because I also know that generation's not going to put up with it. But giving them an opportunity to explore multiple things is, is something that I strive to do. And I think companies should do the same, right? Which is why I love these rotational programs because you don't know what you want to do when you're 23 graduating college. And so being able to sort of rotate around a couple of departments and really pick up skills, I think is something, a wave of the future. I, I agree with you. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, the talent attraction is critical because you have to start somewhere. Kind of staying on Gen Z a little bit. Yeah. The the retention part, though, is... I think we're all uh, suffering from retention. Uh, across, you know, unanimously from every um, talent attraction person I spoke to. I was just at LinkedIn Talent Connect. And, and that seems to be something that keeps everyone up at night. And I think it's got a lot to do with societal pressures. I think uh, being a millennial, we were raised to work hard, raise your hand, do more. And I, and I talked about that organically in the beginning, right? I don't think I would be here if I didn't raise my hand and take on more work. I don't think Gen Z is built like that. Um, and I don't think we're going to change that mindset of theirs. I also think uh, many of our Gen Zers were in a pivotal time of their growth and in, in personal growth in the pandemic, which caused them to really look at life differently. And yeah. um, they don't have those rose colored glasses. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. I remind my team all the time, like, wait a minute. Like, I don't know if it's going to fly long term. Um, but I think we, I think if we're honest that what, you know, I said this the other day, there's multiple generations, right? I know we're talking about Gen Z, but there is like five generations in the workforce and, Facts. and we can't have one size fits all anymore. You know, um, your benefit programs have to speak to all those generations, right? Like, you know, your Gen Z doesn't care about ailing parent, you know, credits and whatnot, or childcare credits or parenting credit. And so the more siloed or the more niche you are to, to, to fit one, right, which usually has happened in, in corporate America, you know, everything is one size fits all for the well-represented cohorts or, or humans. Um, if you try to diversify and you're bringing in more people for diversity and inclusion, everything you do from your marketing, your attraction, your hiring process, and your your retention, your benefits, right, your culture has yeah. to match, you know, and it's to your point about one size. Well, I, I recall, you know, a few different places I've, I've been at now, um, just from my consulting days, even to the last nine to five I had before jumping to live in corporate full time. It's about putting strategies together, putting uh, benefits strategies together that are related back to the gener generational cohorts that you have in your yeah. company. Right. Because to your point, like what's going to be attractive uh, benefits are going to be attracted to a Gen Z. It's not going to be attracted to a baby boomer. No, no. Or 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 a millennial and Gen X or Gen X and Gen Zer. They're just different. They're, they're in different, different places, places, different times, different priorities. 
And I know it's completely different. 100%. And I know this is super outdated. In fact, I've been joking about that I keep pulling things that I did 10 years ago out that still remain relevant um, and, and just shaking them up and throwing a new branded color on it. But um, when I joined Nike, Nike had a couple of problems why they hired me to sort of fix their, their attraction funnel. But one of them was that they have a manufacturing plant here. So I don't know if you're a Nike person or not, but your Air Max soles are all manufactured here yes. in Beaverton. Such a dope environment. I mean, I was if you're a Nike, I was geeking out. You have your glasses. You're seeing the people put the air in the soles, and and I was like, how yeah. is this so hard for you to recruit? Like, I you know, I don't know the machines, but you know, right. I would want to do this. That's dope. Um, yeah. And it turns out that they were speaking to them in the same way they were speaking to their retail clientele and their corporate America clientele. When I mean them, I mean that talent pool that they were trying to hire, right? And so we flipped the funnel. It's still live. We, we did some some video work with, um, oh, my God, the name of their company. It escapes me. Elena, Elena Valentine's uh, video. Oh, yeah. Skill Scout. Uh, they came yeah. in. We did Shout some out videos. to Elena. Shout yeah. out to Elena. Um, we did some videos. And we, we put, you know, that they would get tuition reimbursement. And it was flexible schedule. So moms could work. You could pick your hours as long as you committed to this. And free lunch and all this stuff. And they're pipeline of talent people immediately changed because we were using context clues and benefits and creative that match what they needed to hear not what the rest of the pools was and and as we worked we, we replicated that across the org but that was my first little pilot program and i stand by the need of personas and being really laser focus on what humans want. It didn't, we didn't change the benefits of the company. We just picked and right. pulled the ones that really spoke to those humans. Yeah. A hundred percent. Look, so Linda, I, you sit here and we talked, we talked a little bit, uh, very briefly off mic about some of the things we've been discussing today. Um, you talked, you alluded earlier to like, you know, your prioritization and focus when you think about the type of talent, we want to attract like we're in this we're in this season. So the murder of George Floyd, DEI becomes hyper invo, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody's talking about it. I mean, honestly, even living corporate's podcast numbers spiked. I mean, it was just a very interesting like six and a half it was. to nine months or whatever. We're now in the season of a lot of Cuts. pushback, mm-hmm. backlash, um, where even making mention of um, fairness at work yeah. sometimes can trigger certain vitriolic responses. I'm curious, like, what does it look like for you at Visa to still, you talked about earlier, you said DI's in y'all's DNA. It is. Um, what does it look like for you at Visa in your role to still honor that mm-hmm. in light of all of these external pressures or uh, static? What I, what I love about Visa is, you know, it, a lot of the foundational principles that makes Visa a great place to work are grounded on DHOC the founder of Visa. If you you study his work, you know, he recently passed away, may he rest in power, but um, he was tweeting till the very end. And so many of the things, the hawkisms as they call them, um, are embedded into who we are and it's grounded by leadership principles. And in fact, we, we just like edited to amplify them 
and I'm going to read you one of our leadership principles. It's collaborate as one visa, and the double the double click under that is champion inclusion and diversity. We treat everyone with respect. We excel by harnessing the power of diversity of all kinds to drive innovation and fuel our growth. And I say that with chills because it feels that way. Your voice feels heard. And yes, uh, we were public. It's Googleable. Uh, during the George Floyd time, which which is a challenging period, uh, where Visa also matched all of the Fortune 100s with a with a diversity number, we met that goal ahead of time. Um, and I can say this: five years in, it was very homogeneous um, f- from all levels of diversity, but very much so Latino and Black African American. And now my team is predominantly Black African American, and I love logging on to, and seeing my team. And and you know, and we have we have Latinos too. We have Asian, but you know what I'm saying. But you know, my boss yeah. is a Black man. Um, my peers is a black man. And so my, my point is Visa wasn't like this years ago. So if it took stance to make it and be intentional about who we are and what we stand for, I love that we did that. And I very supportive. I was part of the team that put those that work together in the very early stages. Now, to answer your second part of your question, how because it's part of our DNA and everybody's on the same, you know, from the very top, our CEO all the way down, we we have the same leadership principles, same values and mindset. It is very important. Do we have challenge buckets? Of course, um, every company does, but there isn't a moment where I'm not like, hey, we, you know, we may not be able to go to this diversity conference, but can we run a marketing campaign and still let people know that this pool of talent is important and I ever get pushback? Um, right now, what keeps me up at night is gender diversity. Um, you know, we have a, an enormous amount of men, you know, gen, a race, ethnicity aside, uh, that apply. And so it bugs me. I'm like, what am I doing wrong that women aren't applying? And we have a lot of work to do. Our career site could do better. We have some storytelling moments and you'll see that coming out shortly. But um, mm. that's the work I've been working on. Like, why don't women want to join me here organically? Right. Because I'm not paying for ads to, to drive women to apply in current state. Um, I'm just looking at those numbers and, and really would like to change that a lot. You know, there's something to be said to, to your point about like your your desire to drive organic engagement, um, talent attraction of women to Visa. I'm curious, like you sit here as a uh, as a Latina um, a woman, as Latina, and in this space, you talk about the fact of like your humble beginnings. Um, and like everybody doesn't have, and, and it's funny you say that because one of my dreams when I was like in high school was I wanted to be a corporate professional too. I wanted to have a suit or whatever briefcase. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to have a little name badge yeah, on my yeah. desk. And, <laughs> you know, that was all really cool to me. I wanted like a, um, yes. I wanted a company car. I wanted a Ford Taurus. Yes. I was like all, all of those types of things. Um, those are the things for me that were important to me. Yeah. And so, um, I'm curious, you don't see a lot of Latina no. executives. Four percent is what Mackenzie said. Four percent of women. So small. So small. And I'm gonna be honest, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I feel like Living Corporate has interviewed at least a third of them. Um, <laughs> you really it's have. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just so it's so uh, it's it's really shocking. Mm-hmm. You know, organizations have to do a better job yep. of engaging all women of color. And that also, of course, includes Latina yeah. women. Talk to me about 
So, what do you think organizations could be doing to like better attract and retain that talent? Oh, this is something I, I struggle with all the time. Um, so Mackenzie put out a great report. Um, I think I posted about it on Monday where, where it was just talking about Latinas and black women and women in general, um, you know, the whole diversity yeah. issue we have in corporate America and, and so forth. I, I think, um, you know, and this is my lived experience, right? I think um, I work really hard, and I think part of my background is working harder, harder, harder. That doesn't necessarily go over well in corporate America oftentimes. Um, the person that works harder and doesn't always necessarily get promoted, right? Um, and so I think that corporations, and I, and I don't solely mean this for, you know, me, but I think corporations really need to realize that, you know, as you... Uh, strive for diversity and inclusion and bring new voices and and people to your org that their paths are going to be different and you know they're that means the latter you know meant that the latter you know way of thinking for your career progression is no longer the same and it could be sideways but you still have to compensate and reward people um I think we need to hire more Latinas in general. Um, I follow uh, Gina Moreno. Um, she's a Latina creator. I think you, you, you probably know her. And she's doing a great job of, of just going into those high schools and, and just getting uh, women involved in that STEM you know, conversation. I think we need more Latinas yeah. in general just get it, taking on different roles that are not natural to us. You know, we, we tend to stick to the marketing and the business and, and staying in those pathways. Um, and I think companies could do that a little bit more with Latinos. I, I don't want to see a tragedy happen where, you know, we finally need to bring, you know, some sort of numbers and attention to it. Um, I really don't want that to happen, but I think that is missing some sort of big boom that's going to cause people to really look at Latinos as a, as a target talent pool. I mean, look, when you talk about the future of this, of this, of uh, the United States, uh, it's getting browner, right? Yeah. Black and brown folks, black, black and Latino, Latino, Latina people, Latinx folks, they are going to continue to grow and be the majority of this nation. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's a matter of your own corporate survival. And frankly, like not just from a numbers perspective and representation, but from an innovative perspective and a market services perspective, if the majority of your population is going to be non, non white, non, like it's going to be what, what has been historically considered quote unquote diverse or, or, um, or minority, Mm -hmm. if we're coming, if we're we're going to be a a majority minority country, then guess what? Your market's going to be majority minority. Your vendors and your uh, potential client partners yeah. and your prospective talent and your prospective yeah. clients, customers. 100%. So you need to adapt to change. So, look, this has been a fire conversation. Honestly, Slenda, we could probably keep on going for like another hour. But <laughs> we don't. Sure. Here's here's what I want to understand, right? Like. Sure. Um, I, I'm gonna give you. I'm, I'm gonna do a. I'm gonna do a. I typically do like a three. Hey, if you had three things to ask, so I'm gonna do that again. But I'm okay. gonna do it two times. Okay. So the first one is, let's say you walk into a room full of executives. Okay. And these were like, I'm talking. These could be competitors. This could be different industries. These are all high ranking CEOs. Okay. CEOs. Let's just say CEOs. And you could give them three points of advice on how they need to better attract and retain talent. Okay. What would those three points of advice be? That's my first one. 
Okay, I would say, you know, look within. You know, I think oftentimes we're always going outside, right? It's kind of like, you know, um, hosting a party and always inviting new people when you have an address book of cool folks already in your contacts, right? And so look for, for within. Mobilize your internal mobility. Get an employee referral program. The bare basics of, of, of a talent attraction uh, programming are, are critical, right? And I would say look from within. You have the right people there. You know, come up with an internal mobility program. Promote those people that have been working hard for you. Give them new opportunities. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bigger title. Um, I don't think this any of the five generations are looking for those titles moves anymore. They're just looking for meteor work and more money, right? And compensation right. and recognition. So that's what I mean. Uh, secondarily, the other thing I would say to them is, you know, think like a think your attraction, your recruiting process is for the consumer. Uh, we need to get out of this mindset that we have an employer brand, a consumer brand. At the end of the day, it's the same, right? If you yeah. do a, a great job of just really pissing a few people off that are visa holders, and they're like, you know what, I got ghosted, my hiring process was bad, the hiring manager didn't show up. I'm a Mastercard only person now. I know that sounds ridiculous. But people are going to get there, especially Gen mm -hmm. Z, you know, um, they're less willing to, to contact a help desk, less willing to go get help. And so think of your brand as, cons you know, everybody's a candidate, period. Third, your entire company is a recruiter. And if you start acting that way, the CEO can help you bring good people. You know, the my recruiters, your recruiters, everybody's recruiters are, in my opinion, talk to more people than our salespeople do. Yet our salespeople get better training, better budget, cooler tech, cooler tools. Let's start treating our recruiters like sales folks that they are and really enable them to be amazing. If you really put more money into your talent attraction, talent acquisition organization, your HR, your people org, period, um, you would start seeing better dividends. And I always tell people, like, we hire your salespeople, so help me help you. Um, and so those are three things, I think. I mean, of course, there's way, way more, but those are pretty, those things I would say. Fire. Uh, so then, so we're going to keep it going. Okay. And you, so let's, so, so now let's say you're in a room full of, you know what, it could be, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to say Gen Zers because there's people across every generational cohort, ethnic cohort, uh, every type of dimension that need help when it comes to like negotiating. Okay. Um, in terms of when they get, get the, they want to get the bag. What are, what would be three points of advice you would give to talent as they're looking to negotiate and move to a new role, especially in this market where, frankly, there, there might be more pressure to just accept what you get. Yeah, it's true. You're right. Especially if you've been looking for a long time. Okay, three things. One, um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, period. Um, you know, and, and you're going to have to be uncomfortable because if you're not, com you're, the things you're going to say, the things you're going to ask for are going to feel so heavy and so hard to say. And I mean, if you're anything like me, your whole body will be tingling and like, and you're scared of rejection. So the first thing is working on your confidence and some tips I can give you there because, you know, I'm a human and I work on my confidence every day. I also have teenagers I support to be confident is look in the mirror. Tell yourself every day, I'm enough, 
Remind yourself of your value. Remind yourself of why you applied to this job and why you're going to be beast mode there. And if you start feeling it, you're going to exude that confidence when the negotiation happens. Two, research. Go out there, go to salary.com, Glassdoor, Indeed, put the job title, put the company. Nowadays in the United States, everybody should be very honest about salary um, bans, but not everybody's leading the way. I know Visa's doing it, but go at least to New York and California where they have formal laws uh, that every job description has to have a salary and use that to gauge yourself about your salary. The other thing you can do is contact people in similar roles that you're friends with or, or network on LinkedIn. Everybody's nowadays is really open about salary and what you're making and what you're not. I have a couple colleagues at work. When review time comes, we, we'll talk about it. And it's primarily to open our eyes at what it means, right? We're, we've never done anything malicious with it, but it's good to see where your peers sit. I've never worked in an environment like that before. And last but not least, um, the third one would be utilize some sort of, you know, write down everything you want. Once you get your offer, right, make sure the company has provided you with their benefit package. You've asked all the right questions about what comp looks like from other aspects because you're looking at it from a full package. Let's use like a chat GPT. Um, I pay for it. I would recommend you do that because then your content is gated. Um, but use a chat GPT. Take your your bullets that are rough and icky and not professional and say, write this in the most professional way possible to provide me, you know, a negotiation and give them what you have and tell them what you want. And ChatGPT will write you a little email. And if it yeah. doesn't sound like your voice, you could say, make it more nicer. You know, I mess around with ChatGPT until I find, it gets me. Um, but I, I mean, if ChatGPT isn't yours, I know there's others, but use a, use yeah. a tool to help you write that email because it will write it in a voice that feels comfortable to you and it'll be professional. That way you don't feel like you put it out there. Man, Selena, you dropping. Yo, <laughs> flex bomb. We're going to get the sound, but you're going to drop the air horns on here right here. <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. This is good. Listen, I can talk um, to you all the time. We need to do this more often. <laughs> listen, you're a friend of the show. You come back whenever, you know what I'm saying? So look, um, so, so, first of all, you've already dropped Mad Jewels at the end. Before I let you go, any parting words or shout-outs at all? You know, I want to say I have a, a solid group network of people like yourself that I've met on Twitter. And I say met because if we've exchanged more than two tweets, we're friends on LinkedIn. You know, and it's constantly about expanding your network because opportunities like the one that you've provided me today will, will drop on your lap. If if you continue to put yourself out there, you're friendly, you're polite, you add value to you to, to the network and back and forth. And I advise anyone, regardless of where you are in your career, work on your personal brand, put yourself out there, make internet friends. And I just want to shout out everybody that's in my network because y'all are real ones. I've learned so much from you. I continue to learn from you. Um, and, and, and again, thank you, Zach, for having me on. This was fantastic. I really enjoyed my time with you. Hey, listen, I enjoyed my time with you as well, Celinda. We will talk to you soon. Peace. Yo, thank you so much for rapping, hanging out with us this week on Living Corporate. Make sure that you check us, check our content out 
on living dash corporate, please say the dash.com. You can see our entire network of shows. We have all types of content that we've been publishing. Um, that's all focused on black and brown folks at work, different lenses, mental health, career development, executive leadership, right? Wellness, freedom, all types of different lenses, but it's all focused on historically marginalized, oppressed, exploited, under invested, disinvested people. That's what we're here for. So also click the link in the show notes. Make sure you check out our merch. Cop a hoodie. It's getting cool. Oh no, it's not getting cool. It's not getting cool. Eh, I don't know. Depends on where you at. It's always some, you know what I'm saying? I'm in Houston, right? So it's never really cool. You know what I mean? It's always wet and warm or hot and humid. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, but I'm sure it's hoodie season somewhere. So make sure you go on the, go on the website if you don't want to cop a hoodie, cop a tank top. You know what I'm saying? Cop a mask. You know what I'm saying? Still wear a mask. Look, come on now. The pandemic is still a pandemic. And I know y'all don't want to act like it is, but people still getting sick out here. Trust me. I got coworkers. People be, okay, I got friends. All right. Be careful. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you, 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 you get familiar. You know what I'm saying? Take care of yourself. Uh, and look, until next time, this has been Zach. Thank you so much for rocking with Living Corporate. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.